Hello, and welcome to another episode of Sophia's Choice, a Golden Girls podcast. As always, I am Alan, and joined by my friends Ski. Hello. And Brent. Hi. And we are continuing on our quest to figure out what is the greatest episode of the entire run of the Golden Girls. Greatest ever. Can we just call it now? It was the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, definitely from Ski's perspective, the pilot uh, was second to none. Uh, as to this point, it has shined above the rest. <laughs> you know, at its particular time, the pilot was second to none. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so so, so are you saying that you were just basing it on every episode prior? Is that why it got such a high rating? <laughs> because it had That's nothing right. to compare That's itself right. to? Oh, okay. Well, at least now your rating <laughs> makes a little more sense, given it that eight that had to be talked down to a seven point five. Anyways, uh, so it's like Adam telling Eve, "You're better than any woman I've ever seen before." Exactly. <laughs> it's like, well, I mean, better than any woman, but I could maybe imagine one slightly better than exactly. you. So I'm going to give you a seven point five. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So anyway, as, as always, we're going to start off with a recap of the episode, um, discuss any uh, particular favorite lines, MVPs of the episode, and give our rating out of eight slices as, again, we continue on our quest to determine the greatest. So without further ado, I'll go ahead and turn it over to Ski for the recap. All right, well, this episode was uh, entitled A Little Romance. Uh, the air date originally was December 14th, 1985. Produced by Kathy Spear and Terry Grossman. Co-produced by Marsha Posner-Williams, which I think all of them have been. And I'm assuming that's going to be something that always transpires. Created by Susan Harris. Written by Barry Finero and Mort Nathan, I believe they're pronounced. And directed by Terry Hughes. Now just uh, in case I didn't mention this, this is the 13th episode of season one, uh, which puts it right in the middle of the first season 25 episodes in season one so we're right at the halfway point at this uh with this one so sorry go on with that uh, good i don't think we had said that yet uh so we open in the kitchen uh sophia enters in the kitchen with uh, a suitcase she she opens it lays on the table and then proceeds to go into the drawers and grab a bunch of jars of apparently clam sauce Mm. then she places each one of these into the suitcase dorothy enters while she's doing this and asks what she's doing we find out that Sophia is going to visit uh, Phil, um, as as you guys may remember. Phil is Dorothy's brother and Sophia's son. Now, I don't feel like I specifically know what clam sauce is. Is that just a form of, like, marinara type sauce? Uh, I mean, it looked like just uh, it pasta does, it sauce. It did look like marinara. Okay. Yeah, I think so. So it's just flavored with clam? Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know that I've Maybe ever... Maybe it is delicious. I don't know if I I've had it. I think it's just, like, a thicker clamato. Oh, okay. Well, I, I can't say that I've... Uh, Tried Clamato or <laughs> <laughs> clam sauce. Uh, I'm not a. Pre- I, I like tomato sauce. I like marinara and things of that nature. But I'm not a fan of straight up tomato juice or tomato soup. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, I've never, never given a, a try to Clamato or clam for that matter. So, but. I have tried clams once. I will not try it again. You're much more of a seafood person than I am. Uh, yeah, and I did not like it. Yeah, I generally like seafood that I had no idea was ever in the sea. Um, you know, <laughs> something very processed. Uh, yeah, I do like fried clams. I'll say that much. Okay, but like, just I had tried regular clams. It was yeah. My dad loves seafood. I mean, he was in the Navy, so I guess it makes some sense. Um, you know, at least stereotypically. But yeah, my dad. I mean, he'll eat you know mussels and you know, any 
form of seafood. I mean, it, his favorite foods would all come in that. Uh, from the ocean. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, wasn't it, wasn't it clam juice that that peddler at the World Trade Center was selling the Simpsons? Yeah, I think oh. it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, which uh, that would definitely have been one I could have passed on by. <laughs> it would have taken a fine salesman <laughs> to, to peddle that on, well, on towards uh, me. Uh, Homer was eating the, was it Club Kalosh mm-hmm. or something? Yeah, that was in New that York. It doesn't sound yeah. very tasty either. <laughs> no, but he continued to eat it, I think, even through the... Uh, yeah, he's like, oh, this is horrible. Give me another. <laughs> right. I appreciate a man who uh, you know, will see something through to the end. <laughs> He's got a passion for eating, and mm-hmm. that's that's the real goal in the end. Exactly. So, all right. So, so sorry. Back to the episode. <laughs> um, so, uh, Sophia states that she's bringing the sauces because Phil's wife apparently never cooks. Uh, Dorothy kind of defends her, pointing out that uh, she works all day, and uh, Sophia clearly dis- disapproves on some level of the fact that she's you know, apparently a welder, and that they have ten kids that they quote can't afford. Now, I feel like. <clears throat> Leading up to this episode, I just, for some reason, had a completely wrong idea about Phil. (laughs) I don't know why. Somewhere along the way, I thought that Phil was trans or something along those lines. Um, I think he still kind of could be because his wife has a super masculine job. Well, potentially, but it certainly is not at all mentioned as part of it here. Now, granted, there are plenty of people in the trans community that have, you know, a full full lives you know with children and you know that have a hetero side and uh Mm -hmm. you know or whatever you call heteronormative i don't know all the terms but so i don't want to stereotype and and act like someone wouldn't be able to have 10 children and have a completely happy marriage but i just i don't know why i I don't know if it was something i heard at a later time Mm -hmm. or or what but i just did not get the impression that that was phil's life at all (laughs) yeah so. Maybe later on it becomes part of his life. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know if it's something that's mentioned down the road. I guess we'll have to keep an eye out for it. And there would have to be people that know the show better than I that were scratching their heads. I, I would say of the characters like that we know of, like family members, Phil is probably mentioned by far the most. Yeah, yeah. Phil's mentioned seen. pretty consistently. You'd think that one of his, you know, one of the ten grandchildren at some point would have been mentioned before <laughs> this episode uh, with all the all the mentions that Phil has gotten here and there. I don't know. Based on the way Sophia mentions one of them, maybe they're not that worth talking about. <laughs> well, yeah, they mentioned well, Phil's wife like five times in this episode, and it's always just Phil's wife. Like yeah. they never like would she has give no her name. A name. Yeah. Right. Well, I guess maybe they figured at this point <laughs> they, they wanted to be able to pivot if they decided to change names, you know, at some point. So. Oh, exactly. Phil's the, wife, Ted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess that's the thing, too, is with her, I don't know, thinly veiled disdain for Phil. I never got the impression that he was just kind of like a, a dope. Um, I, I got the impression that, oh, well, maybe it's uh, maybe I, it was because I came into it thinking that um, Phil had an alternative type lifestyle. But I thought, well, maybe that was, you know, Sophia's old mm-hmm. and it was just a difficulty in accepting that, <laughs> you know, her son had a different, uh, you know, dance to a beat of a different drummer than others but uh it, i don't know it just completely turned me turned my perception to fill on its ear that he's just like oh just a dope who's very good at procreating with <laughs> this particular welder um, and that's why he gets the vip award from me <laughs> <laughs> there's no way there's no way that Phil ends up with the vip I, I feel like i know who 
I know who my VIP is on this episode, and we'll get to that later on. And I, I would be shocked if yours isn't the same, <laughs> but we'll see. Uh, and I don't think it's Phil. <laughs> right now, it's neck and neck between Phil and Benjamin, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Hey, now let's not let's not get up too ahead of ourselves here. Right, exactly. The, the adoring public needs to watch it as it unfolds. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so uh, Dorothy, you know, can't, is kind of pleased with her mother to be nice when she goes on a trip and keep everything in a positive light of sorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, as they kind of walk into the living room, she reminds her that uh, the six boys are giving up their bedroom. <laughs> six boys in one bedroom. Right. That sounds crowded. Uh, and that her uh, grand, it's, it's actually going for her grandson's graduation. Uh, but then Sophia points out that she's not really impressed by either of those facts. And then even puts down the graduation by... Uh, Stating that it's uh, from an animal grooming school. That doesn't seem like the kind of place that would have a big ceremony that you would bring people in from out of state for. <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to disparage it. You know, I, I, I'm sure that there's definitely a, you know, a process that you have to go through to get certified as an animal groomer. It's definitely a job that I would never have any desire yeah. to, to deal with. So. Maybe it's just one of those like first in the family type things, the first to get a. Well, just first on that side. I mean, Dorothy has a degree. Well, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> within yeah. Well, just within Phil's lineage. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, he could be the oldest for sure, but yeah. still, I still wouldn't think that would be something that would be worth calling. Uh, yeah. Calling family in from multiple states away. I don't remember. Yeah. Did she say where she was going? I mean, I assumed it was Did back say to what state. I mean. I th- New York is where they're from, right? So I yeah, assumed yeah. it was just back to New York, or at least in Very that possible. you know New York area. But I don't know if Phil still lived up there. Or. Yeah. All right. So yeah. So we know that she's going for a dog grooming graduation, <laughs> that she is less than enthused about. Uh, and just then, Blanche enters and kind of ex- exclaims that she's discovered quote a great new way to meet more men. With to that, Sophia replies with. More men, you're going to need a turnstile in your bedroom. Mm-hmm. I feel like that very similar joke was made in another episode, but I, I couldn't remember for sure. Um, I'm sure, yeah, it's definitely right. a, a gag that's gone on since the beginning and probably will till the end. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, yeah. But yeah. especially between those two. I'm seems. not saying like another joke about her promiscuity. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I mean, like a turnstile based oh, joke. Okay. <laughs> I, yeah, there's definitely been a, a one or two. Yeah. <laughs> um, They've gone so, to that well before. <laughs> slight, slight hints. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there also may be some jokes about uh, you know Rosa's in, you know limited intellect a couple I times throughout the series, but she seems pretty quick to me. All right. <laughs> uh, so yeah, she says she needs a turnstile. Blanche continues by explaining that she's uh, she had enrolled in a CPR class and had eligible men basically kissing her for six hours. I think she even said something about laying on her back, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, Dorothy points out that uh, that's very similar to an experience she had at. A Super Bowl party at McSorley's Bar. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I've taken, a, I don't know, I think a CPR course when I was a kid, and we used a dummy um, or something of that nature. Yeah. I, I definitely do not remember practicing on other mm-hmm. on other individuals. Yeah, um, it, it seems uh, that she. It doesn't really seem like she was enrolled in a class. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like she just volunteered to be the the dummy, mm-hmm. um, or you know, was just willingly assaulted and took it as that. Well, so I actually, I've done several CPR classes. I've been enrolled in like even lifeguard training and stuff mm-hmm. as far back as when I was 11 years old and we always used a dummy. Right. Like there's certain, like the doing the uh, chest compressions, you could actually break someone's ribs by trying to do that to a real person. Mm-hmm. 
which is part, I mean, sometimes you have to do that to save their life. I know you've broken a fair number of ribs. Well, that's just for fun. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I thought that little boy was choking. <laughs> there was, you know, I had no other option <laughs> but to break his ribs. <laughs> Sir, he was just playing on the, on the swing. Yeah, he wasn't even near the water. <laughs> <laughs> so Rose enters the room and uh, looking a bit uh, gussied up. And she asks everybody how she looks. They all assure her that her outfit looks great. Uh, mostly, of course, uh, Blanche gives her her signature backhanded compliment. She says, to the untrained eye, that polyester could almost pass for silk. Right. Uh, and then Rose kind of insists that, of course it is. They discuss how Rose is going to uh, be going out with a friend that she's been now dating for three weeks, uh, a Dr. Jonathan Newman. And uh, apparently he's a psychiatrist at the grief center where Rose works. Uh, Blanche continues, so Rose, you're seeing a psychiatrist? And then Sophia kind of interjects, it's about time the woman gives names to her gingerbread men. Right. Uh, Sophia then says that uh, she's ready to head to the airport and Rose volunteers to take her. Uh, before going, though, Blanche and Dorothy kind of press Rose for more details on this guy. And uh, she says that there isn't a whole lot to say other than you know, he's a really great guy and she likes him a lot. Uh, then they reply that they uh, look forward to meeting him and... Uh, I thought it was a bit odd that they, they're like almost too forward on that issue. Like, oh, when are we going to see him? When are we going to see him? Kind of. Did you guys get that impression at all? It was almost too much. Well, they were, you know, I know definitely. Close, but. I don't know. But it, you got to figure in today's day and age, you know, you would show people pictures on, you know, social media and whatnot. Sure. I mean, they would at least have some connection to this person. Yeah. Whereas back then that you're getting literally nothing, you know, about this person, you know, up front. So I guess I can somewhat understand why you'd be a little more, uh, I don't know, well, and Rose, overly Rose eager. is far less likely to have su- suitors. I mean, she didn't have the turnstile situation that Blanche has. Right. I mean, as far as we know, you know, she had Charlie. Then she had a long, long drought, you know, with maybe a couple dates, uh, but, you know, no significantly romantic relationships up until Artie, who came and went, you know, went out with uh, maybe one other person. You lighting know. director. What's that? A lighting director. Well, I don't believe she... <laughs> oh, the, yeah, that's right. Yeah, because she talked about light bulbs and how three-way bulbs work. Um, there was no follow-up on that. I was really yeah. hoping that there'd be some answers. Yeah, and this doctor, which, I mean, you know, everybody is excited about a doctor. So, you know, three weeks. Yeah, I guess I could understand why they'd be a little um, pushy about when are we going to meet this person who you're yeah. in a fairly significant relationship with at this point. I guess I can get into that, yeah. Uh, so, anyway... Uh, like I said, they kind of press her to, to say when they're going to get a chance to meet her. And Rose says she promises to have him over soon, uh, but then she won't really commit to any time and says, you know, he's very busy. Uh, Sophia and Rose then head out the door, and Dorothy kind of pleads with Ma one last time to be nice to Phil's wife. Again, no name. Uh, she assures her that they get along and that uh, she looks forward to uh, when uh, her father even gets out of prison and she'll end up being a wealthy woman. I don't understand why she'd be a wealthy woman when her father gets out of prison. Is the father hiding some gold somewhere? I'm guessing it has to be something like that. I assumed. I mean, it's just an odd thing to, you know. <laughs> I mean, you'd think the father might just go ahead and tip off the daughter as to where, you know, this fortune is hidden at. I, I guess we don't know how much longer he has in prison and <laughs> if it's a shady enough family, perhaps he doesn't trust the daughter not to run off with oh, his yeah, riches. She's, she doesn't need it anyway. She's got that welding money. Well, I mean, welders make a pretty decent living <laughs> and apparently she's making a good enough uh, living to support ten herself, kids 10 kids. and Put them through animal grooming school. Yeah, I mean, and you assume that 
she's the breadwinner of the family, at least the way that Ma talks about it. So yeah, that's true. And then we changed scene, and now now we're out on the lanai. Rose and Blanche are kind of setting the dinner table. Uh, Blanche is accusing Rose of being angry, but Rose uh, protests and says that she's not. Yet she's got this really sour look on her face. Yeah, I don't think that's a look that ever comes back that I can recall. I don't remember there being another time (laughs) when Rose expresses her seething anger through thin lips. But yeah, they they make it sound like that's what she does every time. Yeah, like that. That's a a, a, you know a hallmark of Rose (laughs) when she's angry, but not uh, not wanting to talk about it. Or just angry in general. And she's certainly been angry a few other times on the show. So, And uh, Dorsey kind of joins them out there. And they uh, start talking together about how uh, Dr. Newman is apparently coming over for dinner. Uh, Rose insists that she should have been the one to invite him to dinner. But Blanche points out that she had suggested that three times in the past week. And that Rose says she wasn't trying to avoid it. She just simply forgot. Uh, and that Blanche should have still run the idea by her first. Uh, Blanche then you know, said that she had invited him. Uh, personally when he called I'm assuming on the house phone mm-hmm. probably looking for Rose yeah what other phone would he have called on uh, well I don't know I guess <laughs> <laughs> it would have to have been that yeah I mean the only other option would be like I don't know like maybe something up the pole or something like that <laughs> you know or like the satellite phone well in this day and age Alan you know if I call you at your house it's not necessarily that uh, you know sure you're, I mean your wife well, I don't care if people know my wife's name is Sherry, but um, <laughs> yeah, well, I agree. But again, we're talking about this day and age, I know, which is I know. <laughs> a lot of day and ages since that day and age. <laughs> so you guys are just trying to make me feel stupid. He's so not going hard. forward. He's just gonna if like if he wants to call her, he's just gonna call the suicide hotline. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, I don't know, or her extension at the office. Yeah, it could be. Because, yeah, assumably it would be a, what, a closed uh, circuit type of a situation there <laughs> that she could get in touch with her. But, yeah, if he wants to call her home, then, mm-hmm. you know, the only option is the one landline. So. <laughs> well, Dorsey trying to keep the peace between the two, um, you know, kind of points out that he'll arrive soon. They've got a wonderful dinner planned, and uh, they should just kind of relax and enjoy the time. Uh, Rose states that uh, Jonathan is a very special person and uh, doesn't want the girls to embarrass him somehow. They assure her that they are just as excited to meet him and that Dorothy, or then Dorothy suggests that Rose go check on dinner. And while she's exiting the room, she kind of flashes uh, that really angry purse look at Blanche again. Mm. Yep. Yeah, definitely. The, again, multiple times in this episode do we <laughs> get this uh, look of anger that never appears again. <laughs> Blanche tells, uh, well, well, Rose is out of the room. Blanche tells Dorothy that she is very intrigued to meet uh, Mr. Jonathan and... Uh, how interesting he was on the phone and that he had analyzed her dream because uh, if you remember he's a psychiatrist she describes the dream as uh, running naked through a train that is going through multiple tunnels while being chased by a sweaty bodybuilder mm-hmm. and uh, oddly enough he says that he thinks her dream is sexual yeah that's almost the exact same dream you've described to me literally hundreds of times it's the only dream I really remember yeah and by I say dream I mean memory so <laughs> go through a lot of trains Alan I, I know I know and you have piss a lot off of, a lot of bodybuilders yeah yeah that's definitely true but only after their workouts mm-hmm. well because you wait till they're tired out a little bit yeah how most am I get away from them? yeah but you have to make it sporting yeah. <laughs> and then I run all the way through that train and mm-hmm. I just pray that they're too tired to yeah. catch me stripping off as you go <laughs> in order to decrease <laughs> your wind resistance <laughs> mm. uh, Dorothy agrees that it probably is sexual in nature 
uh, Blanston kind of reflects for a moment and realizes that, you know, most of her dreams may actually be about sex, even the ones where she's eating food, which happens to be naked as well. The doorbell then rings, and Blanche kind of goes over to answer it. And there's a short man we see at the door, and uh, she quickly dismisses him and shuts the door. She she says something along the lines of, "We don't need your paper. We already get the Miami Herald, I think." Yeah, the, the, this would be a, a young man, I guess, uh, coming soliciting <laughs> for uh, subscriptions to the Miami Herald. Yeah, and then uh, Dorothy asks, you know, who was it? And she incorrectly tells him that uh, it was one of the Donaldson boys tr- trying to sell newspaper subscriptions. Uh, apparently, she didn't look very close to who it was because he's got a full beard. Right. Now, I can understand, you know, sometimes I can be short with salespeople, not in a rude way, but, you know. Short with them, Alan? Mm-hmm. Short? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, you know, and, and like if, if I get a telemarketer on the phone, for example, then I'll definitely be quick and be like, no thanks, and just hang on up and, and move on. But if a child comes to my door to solicit <laughs> something, I'm definitely not going to be that much of an asshole and just say, slam nope, the slam the door in their face and walk away. I mean, that was pretty uh, pretty harsh from a grandmother. Yeah, hit the bricks, kid. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then the bell rings again, and Dorothy answers. Uh, I think she even says something along the lines of, those kids don't just, just won't take a hint. So I, I assume maybe they're part of the reason they uh, she slammed the door is because they, they get this offer often. Yeah, frequently. perhaps. Um I don't think it would qualify as a hint, though, when you say no thanks and slam the door in someone's <laughs> face. <laughs> uh, but anyway, she, the door runs, re, doorbell rings again, and uh, this time uh, Dorothy goes to answer it. It is Dr. Newman, of course, uh, and uh, he happens to be a little person, if you didn't catch on to that. Um, Dorothy uh, brings him into the house, accidentally asks him, you know, can I take your height? And then she's like, oh, hat, sorry. Blanche then enters, re-enters the living room because she left for a moment. And uh, Dorothy introduces uh, the doctor to him. Blanche does not believe that it's the doctor. And uh, there's a little back and forth. And Dorothy tries to kind of prevent uh, Blanche from making a fool of herself and then obviously hurting Jonathan's feelings. Uh, then Rose enters and you know greets Jonathan as well. Blanche, still assuming that the little person is, uh, is a joke, kind of you know, accuses Rose of uh, hiring this gentleman to pose as the doctor. And uh, pull prey, Connor. Um, yeah, Blanche definitely doubles and triples down mm-hmm. on the uh, on the mistake. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I appreciate her commitment to <laughs> you know believing that there was no way that Rose would be dating a little person. <laughs> Can't be a small doctor. Yeah, just how incredulous uh, the <laughs> just the very thought of it is. Uh, but of course, all of this brings up the main question. Why wouldn't Rose mention it to begin with? I mean, or at least right before he arrived, say, "Hey, well, yeah. just so you know." Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand. I mean, she admits later in the episode, of course, that she is self-conscious about it herself. Um, but it still seems like something like once the invitation's been extended and he's on his way over, there's no hiding it. There's it, no avoiding for no it. other reason to than to avoid the the probable the the possible you know. Embarrassment, yeah. yeah, for for like again, for, especially for the doctor. Not you know, not that you'd give that much of a shit about you know your friend who's being an <laughs> asshole being embarrassed, but you would definitely not want your you know suitor. Someone to, she you know, cares about clearly. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it's it just that was the the big plot hole for the entire thing for me. I enjoyed the episode, and we'll get more into that as we go. But uh, that that one little part, I was like. <laughs> I, I could see if at the very last minute she brought it up. Yeah. Um, before like, before the door was, hey, guys, 
Heads up. Yeah, yeah. Even if it was just like literally the doorbell rang, I got to tell you guys something. And then, you know, he's a little person like, what? And then opens the door. At least that much warning would have been, would have been warranted. Better than the nothing, right? Yeah, exactly. So. Well, and uh, Blanche is done being an a-hole. And uh, she is laughing almost hysterically until she realizes, oh, I'm a jerk. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think she even says it like, I wish I was dead or something. She realizes she's been extremely offensive to their guests. And uh, Dorothy kind of excuses herself and Blanche to get uh, some more d'oeuvres from the uh, kitchen. Dorothy then tells Blanche that she needs to calm down and relax. Blanche agrees that, you know, if she's self-conscious, he'll be uncomfortable, and that just wouldn't be very Southern of her. Mm-hmm. Uh, Blanche then walks back into the living room with some uh, the hors d'oeuvres. Walking towards Jonathan, she offers him shrimp. Mm. <laughs> and then realizes what she said, immediately turns 180 and goes right back in the kitchen, giving the food to nobody. Yeah, it definitely makes it great that she just says shrimp and walks out because then it really just looks like she's walking in, calling him shrimp, and then leaving the room. Um, she obviously realizes the gap she, uh, about his height. And uh, as she leaves the room, Jonathan kind of uh, says, she's pretty uptight. I'm going to have fun teasing her tonight. Which rhymes. Mm-hmm. It's like a poet. Yeah, yeah it's good observation. Uh, Dorothy suggests that they just go ahead and get dinner started. Uh, Dr. Newman agrees and asks what they're having. And then she pauses and responds, short ribs. Which, at that point, I think she could have probably just said ribs. Yeah, yeah, I think <laughs> so. I don't necessarily think you need to give the descriptor of short ribs. I don't think short ribs are that vastly different <laughs> than... Mm-hmm. Yeah, they get to the table, it's like, these are short ribs. You just said ribs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that... Um, yeah, I could have just gone ahead and bait and switch that. are you trying to pull here? <laughs> right. Spornak. <laughs> I doubt that he would know her last name at that point. But I think he's done background checks on all of them. He's a doctor, Alan. Oh, he that's true. It. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of resources that us lay people don't have. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, so then we change the scene. After dinner, they're kind of walking back into the living room, holding you know, like wine glasses or something. And uh, Jonathan is telling a funny story about a trip he took to Nairobi. And uh, then he saw an old roommate from Harvard that apparently had also gone to Nairobi trying to get away from it all and uh, Blanche says small world isn't it and Jonathan kind of quips back quickly not from where I'm standing and then she apologizes again because she feels like it was could have been uh, a little uh, insensitive and he tells her you know no don't worry about it don't don't worry about my height because I'm not worried about it uh, he continues to uh, kind of impart some wisdom about you know self-acceptance and Rose admits that uh, she loves when he talks that way uh, Blanche then suggests that they get some coffee. Uh, Rose and Jonathan head to the kitchen to go get it. And uh, Blanche and Dorothy stay in the living room and talk about how uplifting and positive Jonathan is. Uh, Blanche even adds, and he's wearing the cutest little gray suit I think I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it was nice that she was able to give compliments, but still take a, a little thinly veiled swipe at the same time. <laughs> I, I don't know. I kind of ins- interpreted it as almost sexual at that point. Like she uh. was... I don't know. I don't, I don't she was think, attracted to him all of a sudden. I don't know. The, at least the tone of her voice. I didn't take it as being sexually attracted. Almost like a teddy bear with that. Yeah, exactly. Like you like you would say for a small child or something like that. Gotcha. Just then, Sophia enters, and uh, they're all quite surprised to see her because she wasn't scheduled to even arrive home until after the uh, graduation, which was the following week. Apparently, he had failed. Like the, the, the grandson had mm. failed and will not be graduating, so there was no real point to staying. Now, other I, than to maybe 
visit her family, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, I can understand. Like, all right, well, there wasn't the graduation to be there for. <laughs> but my 10 grandchildren, son and daughter-in-law, you know, were all also there to, you know, to yeah, visit. I, I the course of the gather week. only a few days of pass at most. Yeah, yeah. That's a, it almost, I mean, obviously the way it was, uh, you know, they did the scene. It was a very brief period of time that it seemed she was gone. It almost seemed like she came back the same day or a couple, <laughs> maybe a day later, but. Yeah, again, I guess it kind of goes to her thinly veiled disdain for Phil. Uh, and so, yeah, they seem surprised uh, to see her and that, uh, that he had failed even. Uh, but uh, she assures them that he didn't seem too impressive during her visit. I think he said she said something about drinking beers and shooting cans with BB gun or something. Yeah. Yeah, so apparently Phil's kids, it, it definitely makes it seem like they're kind of a white trash hillbilly set, not, not the Italian-Americans that... Uh, you know, we've kind of come used to with, uh, you know, with the rest of the Petrillos we've met so far. And so then uh, Rose and Jonathan re-enter the room, and Sophia, you know, obviously sees him. And uh, she approaches him and says, I hope this doesn't sound rude. And you can see in the girls' faces, they're just bracing for something horrible. Right. <laughs> and uh, then she, you know, but she actually very politely finishes with, I've just gotten back from a long trip, and I'm very tired, so if you'll excuse me. And uh, he says, oh, of course, you know. He said it was nice to meet her, and she says the same. And then uh, while she's heading to her room, she asks to speak to Dorothy real fast. And he says, that guy over there, is he a midget? And Dorothy says, yes. He's like, thank God, I thought I was having another stroke. Yeah, I don't know what the different terminology is for all of it, because I know there are, I know midget is not nowadays a, it, I think. I think a, they prefer so, little people. To yeah. I think dwarf, though, is actually different. Yeah, that's the thing. I wasn't sure because I know that um, you know there are some different terminologies that you know even at different points in time were considered acceptable, but that still delineated between one mm -hmm. you know set of characteristics and another one. But I don't know what the you know I don't know full breadth of those characteristics or differences is. I mean, I think I believe the way I'd always heard in the past is that a dwarf was proportioned uh, normally, but just you know small, um, whereas a midget was, you know, proportioned a little differently. Um, but I don't know, you know, where the, I don't know if that's like a real set, you know, cutoff line between what is categorized as one or the other. Yeah, it's backwards. So like a midget is, or a little person is proportioned just smaller. A dwarf has a normal size torso and everything, just shorter legs. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, now we know. So I, I guess I should have shut up a little sooner, and I would have gotten that answer <laughs> more quickly. But I will. And then what I also you remember um, I'm thinking of um, the way I remember it, anyways. Uh, dwarf on golf. Oh, okay. <laughs> his dwarf was a dwarf, mm -hmm. and Tim Conway just had his you know legs down. Oh, and okay. His knees and the shoes. Oh, fair enough. So that's what was that? Say again. Uh, Tim Conway, his dwarf character. I don't think I've ever seen that. Oh, yeah. Surely you've seen it, at least on infomercials at some point. Because they would, he had like a best of uh, yeah. video that he used to sell. Um, but it was basically him. He was on his knees as a golfer, and he would do these things where he'd kind of sway back and forth or side yeah. to side. Um, okay. It was part of the, the comedy kind of, of it. vaguely familiar. I'd probably mm -hmm. have to look it up sometime. I mean, Tim Conway's a you know national treasure, but... <laughs> Brent doesn't look like he agrees with me uh, as no, wholeheartedly. I agree. I, think so. no, I, agree. <laughs> I agree. Rest in peace, Tim. Well, okay. I, sorry, I guess I should say was a yeah. national treasure. Exactly. Yeah. 
any card-carrying member of the Apple Dumpling Gang is all right by me. <laughs> <laughs> Do any of them still carry cards at this point? Or is they, they're all deceased. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> they're all deceased. But they live on on the Disney Plus. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, I did want to add, though, like, I remember on episode one when we found out uh, Sophia was going to live with them that she had a stroke. It didn't seem like any of us remembered that they brought that up very often, like when we watched it when we were younger. Right. But they've actually brought it up several times. Yeah, yeah, apparently. I don't know, maybe once they get into later seasons or something, it isn't brought up as often, or maybe it's just something we glossed over. Um, well, but, as a kid, I probably didn't really realize what strokes were fully, so maybe not a detail I really caught on to. Yeah, well, I know mm-hmm. once you got into your teen years, you definitely knew about strokes. But, <laughs> well, as far as the recovery goes, it's still close enough. But once you get like eight years out, it yeah. probably just doesn't <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's probably a fair assessment. So, anyway, but so at this point, Sophia's met him, headed on. You yeah, know. back to her bedroom to kind of uh, unwind after her long trip. Mm-hmm. And Jonathan, realizing the time, kind of excuses himself, uh, saying he can't really stay for the coffee. And he thanks him for a lovely evening. And before leaving, though, he asked uh, Rose if uh, he can, if she would join him for dinner tomorrow and that he wants to talk to her about something important. She says yes, of course. And then uh, after he leaves, Rose kind of turns to the girls and asks, you know, what do you think about him? And they all say, well, he's a great guy. He's, he's really awesome. And she says, good, because I think Jonathan's going to ask me to marry him. Yeah, marriage. Boy, this uh, this series so far has had a <laughs> lot of marriage going on. I mean, marriage has probably got to be the... Very heavy theme. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be the number one um, plot point <laughs> so far for the Golden Girls. <laughs> Um, whether it be the marriage of them or marriages around them, but it's uh, for 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 women who would be past the typical marrying age, <laughs> you know, it's, it's marriage come up quite often. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a quite frequent um, topic of uh, of contention. Uh, and then uh, Blanche, who was at the time bringing plates in the kitchen, you can she just appears behind the door and you hear glass crashing. Right. Uh, when when Rose had mentioned this. Then we have a scene change, but it's one of those like probably commercial breaks because it picks up exactly where we left off. Uh, and the girls kind of turn around. They ask, you know, why do you, why does she think that she's going to be asked to or he's going to ask her to marry him? Uh, and she goes on. She uh, talks about the fact that uh, he does want to get remarried. And I guess that's something they've probably talked about and how their relationship has been getting so much more serious in the last little bit. Uh, they all walk into the kitchen together. And the last uh, 72 hours. Right. right? <laughs> Three-week courtship. <laughs> well, quite, you know, we found out that in, in Miami, things move fast. <laughs> you know, relationships don't simmer. They're uh, white hot. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they burn out quickly. And they do burn out very quickly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, so, like, uh, you know, they're getting serious, and they, they walk in the kitchen, they start cleaning up the broken glass from when uh, Blanchard dropped, I, I think it was plates. They ask how she feels about that possibility, and she admits to being a bit unsure. Um, she does go on to talk about the fact that uh, when they're alone, they get along great, uh, but when they're out in public, she does get a bit embarrassed because she hears people kind of laughing and looking at and, and the fact that he's kind of a short person. And she hates the fact that she feels that way. And uh, Rose kind of continues, how big a man is shouldn't make a, or break a relationship and Dorothy, right after that, interjects, not a word, Blanche. <laughs> and that is my winner for uh, the, the line of the... That was your favorite of this particular episode? Yeah, both together, I think. Yeah, mm-hmm. mine's coming up here real soon. Um, still in the same general scene, though. Uh, Dorothy then explains that you know their relationship is unique and has unique issues. 
and uh, they'll have to decide together whether or not uh, it's worth tackling those issues together. Uh, Blanche opens up by stating that she knows how Rose feels. She starts telling a story about a boy she dated in high school named Benjamin. Uh, she talks about how taboo it was for them to date in the South. And uh, in those days, she says, uh, they kept the relationship secret until he asked her out to prom. And then she you know, kind of talks about how she was conflicted on that. But uh, in the end, she you know, walked in and, and had her arm around his uh, and despite the crowd. And then uh, Rose says that was a beautiful story. And assuming that uh, he was black, by the way, Blanche kind of goes on the story. Right. Uh, you know, she says, you know, that was very courageous of you. And then Blanche kind of says, black? He wasn't black. He was from New Jersey. <laughs> right. He was a Yankee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was my favorite particular line was uh, – I went to senior prom with a Yankee, um, which you know, I also went to senior prom with a Yankee as it happens. But uh, I would imagine most of the people in our school did, <laughs> given that we were north of the Mason-Dixon line. But uh, Dad gum yank. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was a great scene overall. I mean, it was great the way they led it up. I mean, I think everybody, you know, in the audience knew <laughs> that it, it wasn't, wasn't going to be as be, virtuous. <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed that, that particular scene quite a bit. Yeah, Dorothy uh, clearly taken aback a little bit by the fact that it was the the, the story was uh, leading her in the wrong direction. Uh, kind of halfway makes fun of Blanche at the end, but I don't think Blanche really caught on by the look on her face. She says, "And to think they made a movie about that deadbeat Gandhi, when there's a story like this that hasn't been told yet." Yeah. The sarcasm is the type that normally would go towards Rose, um, but Blanche <laughs> didn't seem to pick on it, pick up on it at all. Well, I, that she was the the butt of this particular sarcasm. I, I still get the impression that she feels like she did a, a great service to this boy. <laughs> right? Yeah. By you know, by seeing through the oppression of the Yankees right. in, in the South. The story did not help Rose at all, so uh, she decides to go off to her room and lay down. The, the girls kind of follow her, and they offer to help her in any way, or they offer at least a little bit of encouragement. Uh, they leave, and Rose falls asleep, still fully clothed. She's kind of laid down to think, I guess. And then we enter a dream sequence. <laughs> Is this our first dream sequence that we've had? Yeah, and it was a fine dream sequence as well. It was, you know, I mean, I guess you'll get into kind of the specifics of it, but... It was funny the way that they, it, it seemed that Rose and, not Rose, excuse me, but Dorothy and Blanche both seemed to be, I don't know, almost trying to be like they were sort of like the, you know, good witch type character from Wizard of Oz. A little uh, bit. I mean, they were just a little bit off from their normal self, mm -hmm. um, a little more perky or something of that was, nature. I, I, know, I mentioned, or I noticed rather, that uh, it was very up-tempo. Yeah. Everybody talked very quickly, it seemed to me. Yeah. I mean, do you think that's just the way Rose pictures them? Uh, perhaps, or maybe just in her dream version of them. Maybe she <laughs> idealizes them a little more yeah. than their uh, normal selves, because yeah. Yeah. yeah, that'd be a fair assessment. So we enter the dream sequence. We, uh, we, we see Rose kind of awaking in her, in her dream, uh, wearing a full wedding gown and veil, uh, Dorothy and Blanche quickly enter the room, telling her it's time to go, and everyone is waiting. You know, mm -hmm. uh, Rose says that she doesn't think she can go through with this. Clearly, they all know what she's talking about at this point. She's getting married, and then due to the height difference in between her and uh, Jonathan, 
and that uh, it caused people to stare whenever they're out. So she's kind of going through, you know, you know, the issues in her brain, you know, in this dream, obviously. Mm. And they say, really, they never noticed. <laughs> and right. so like, how did you not notice? And maybe they're staring at you, Rose. And then I think uh, Blanche even says something along the lines of that, that hair color or that the color you dye your hair has uh, hasn't been in style since was it the Ford Falcon went out of style or like was discontinued? Ford yeah. Fairlane or Falcon. And uh, then Sophia enters uh, out of like a closet, mm-hmm. wearing a full priest uniform, <laughs> uh, stating that it was her that was going to be marrying them. They all continue uh, that in, or state that in their dreams. It's the needs of the guests that come before your own, right. <laughs> so that she needs to get up and get going. Um, then a little person enters, and the, the little person is meant to uh, represent Rose's dad, who has passed away. Right. He talks to Rose, and he's there. He says he's there to teach Rose that appearance doesn't matter, and that it's what's inside that's important. Now, do you think that if uh, if we were to ever see Rose's dad, say, um, I don't know, represented in the way that he may have actually been? Because, you know, they definitely give the impression that he was shorter than what she remembered. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I think that her, her mind has changed him into being a little person. Mm-hmm. That it would be the same person. It would still be, you know, Billy Barty, but, <laughs> you know, as a normal-sized man instead. I don't know. It's like Billy Barty on lifts. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I don't know any other way they could have. Uh, I mean, obviously, he was already dead, so it would have to be another yeah. dream sequence or, you know, some other way to bring Rose's dad, you yeah. know, into the picture. But... Yeah, my assumption would be, which, you know, who knows? We've got a lot of episodes to go, but I'd have to guess that'd be the only appearance that Rose's dad makes in the series. Mm-hmm. So so as far as I'm concerned, Billy Barty is Rose's dad. <laughs> well, then she asked her dad, or the, the image of her dad in her brain, if uh, he really thinks that they'll be happy together. And he says, well, no one can predict the future. That's between you guys. And then uh, Blanche says, well, that's not entirely true. Part of your... Uh, your wedding gift was this famed psychic, Gene Dixon. <laughs> and so then this, you know, psychic, I don't know who Gene Dixon was. I didn't remember her. But she inexplicably shows up here. Uh, Rose asks uh, what the future holds. And then uh, Gene starts giving celebrity info mm-hmm. about who's going to do a new video or, or movie, rather. And uh, Rose says oh, she's not interested in that. She wants to know what the future between her and Jonathan will be. Gene says that she can't see that future. And then starts in again on another celebrity gossip type. <laughs> yeah, I guess Gene Dixon was a pretty big deal back in the 80s. Um, it, and I was reading, apparently, you know, she had many predictions that she made that were debunked. Um, <laughs> like that was a pretty regular basis. But even because, even with that, mm-hmm. I, I think she predicted Nixon to win, you know, 1960, and he didn't. And then uh, to lead faithfully during his term, which also <laughs> you know, didn't happen. Um but even with that, Nixon, uh, I guess, put the uh, country on alert um, because of a terrorist attack that she predicted, <laughs> which did what? not happen. Yeah. Even with all of her failed predictions, uh, she was also worked for Nancy Reagan as well as the House, you know, uh, seer. Or, yeah, psych- basically, <laughs> yeah, like the House uh, psychic for the uh, presidency during uh, Ronald Reagan's term in office as well. So That's interesting. Apparently she, she wrote a biography back then that uh, was an extremely popular uh, autobiography or biography as well. So 
Yeah, she was a pretty big deal for someone who really kind of faded into the annals of history. No real history or no real talent. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't sound like it. No, she sounds like she had a very good personality. Like, yeah, I guess very so. Attractive, uh, like, to, to people wanted to hear what she had to say, at least. Yeah, I guess so. She lived into her 90s, so she lived a good long life of giving bad predictions. So, <laughs> so you know, then Jonathan enters the room in a white tuxedo, and, you know, Rose asks the group to leave so they can have some privacy. Uh, everybody exits, and then Rose admits to her concerns, you know, that, uh, you know, about their height difference and stuff like that, and Jonathan kind of puts her mind at ease, saying, you know, you care about me and I care about you. So, you know, will you marry me? Uh, they, they hug and Rose says, yes, she will marry him. And she kept saying, yes, yes, yes. As we exit the dream sequence. <laughs> and then uh, Blanche and Dorothy enter while Rose is still saying, yes, yes, yes. She wasn't saying it loud, so I'm not really sure why they enter. Yeah, yeah, it seems That's like they're just like, well, she's slept long enough. <laughs> Let's go. I don't think it's even like daytime at that point, mm-hmm. is it? I don't believe so, man. So, yeah, she just slept for like 20 minutes or something. Like, oh, yeah, we got to get her up. She needs to get <laughs> out of those clothes. She's going to wrinkle that dress. Anyway, she's clutching a large pillow while she's saying this and while they came in. And then they kind of wake her up and tell her, you know, uh, she tells them about the dream and how it helped her decide that uh, she wants to keep seeing uh, Jonathan. Then, you know, with all the commotion, Sophia enters and asks, you know, what's going on? And they tell her that, uh, you know, Rose is going to keep seeing Jonathan. And she replies, oh, that's great. And since Rose is still holding this uh, giant pillow, she says, you know, we're all adults here. Let the man out of the pillowcase. We don't mind if he sleeps over. Yeah, that was definitely a high, uh, one of the that was, high yeah, on my was, list as far as. It was a contender for mine, too. Yeah. yeah, mine, too. And then we have a scene change again, the last scene, actually. Uh, we see Rose and Jonathan are uh, finishing dinner at uh, what I guess is a French dinner, uh, or French restaurant rather, uh, because she keeps saying that you know she loves French cuisine and stuff, and French language. Uh, Rose makes some slightly airheaded comments about the uh, about the cuisine and culture. I think she asks like what they call. Uh, he says he had the trout. She says, "What do they call that in French? Le trout." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which kind of finishes sweetly by saying that, you know, that both the dinner and the company were wonderful. Uh, and Jonathan kind of gets serious and tells Rose that he really needs to discuss something with her. And it's the relationship. And she can, you can see a smile reach across her face. Uh, they both agree that you know, they've been getting very close in the last few weeks. Uh, Jonathan then says that there's a slight problem that we can no longer to ignore. Or we can no longer ignore. He says, you know, they need to accept one another for who they are, and he fears they simply can't accomplish that. Rose assures him that he's wrong, that, you know, his height does not bother her, and he looks a bit surprised. He says, no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, I meant I can't see you anymore because you're not Jewish. And Rose's face kind of drops with disbelief, like, what? And she says, stands up and starts getting loud, and he said, and he says to her, Rose, please lower your voice. People are staring at you. Rose says, staring at me, they're staring at you. And John says, Jonathan then says, well, yes, but I'm used to it. I'm a very snappy dresser. <laughs> I like that line, too. And they both kind of start laughing. They sit back down, kind of quiet down. And they both admit that uh, they're going to miss each other very much, which, I'm surprised, that's just, that's it. You know, yeah. She's not Jewish, done. Yeah, well, I know that there are, uh, you know, depending on how strict you are with your religion, I mean, not just Jewish, but, you know, many different religions are, uh, you know, 
particularly strict about wanting you to only marry within mm-hmm. within the religion. And he does say he's from a very religious family, so right. I, I depend on you know what they believe. I guess that's right along those lines. I guess. But it seems odd that it's almost like, okay, this relationship is over. I'm not even going to look at you at work anymore. <laughs> you know, we're, <laughs> we're done. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, it's like he knew she wasn't Jewish when they started, so why did he even bother? Yeah, yeah. It really seems like if it's that, you know, if it's that strict um, mm-hmm. that you would be like, well, if I have any feelings for this person, <laughs> I know it's going to end badly because I'm not yeah. going to be able to follow well, through he, with it. They both admit to each other that they both kind of mold over their individual issues. Mm-hmm. Like he said, he'd been giving us a whole lot of thought and it, it kind of hurt him to say, and she said basically the same thing. Right. Now, of course, it's a little odd to compare the two just because, you know, appearance is definitely more superficial than your, right, right. you know, religious affiliation. I don't necessarily think either one is, in my opinion, a good reason in a relationship, but, you know, my religion isn't quite as, um, you know, staunch, staunchly against dating or marrying outside of the religion so it's not really that big of a deal but yeah but they both admit that they're going to miss each other which as you said you know it's not like they're not going to see each other at all potentially right and that uh, their relationship has been very sweet to each other uh, and then a waiter comes up and just kind of asks off the side uh, how is the shrimp and rose says unfortunately i'll never know you see he's jewish and we can't see each other anymore yeah, that was another fantastic line because um, you couldn't tell if she was being sarcastic with it, or at least initially, if she just would have stopped, unfortunately, I'll never know, then you would have had to wonder, you know, is she just making a joke like a double entendre herself? Um, but then, of course, going on with it, it kind of reveals that, no, she's <laughs> just referring to him as the shrimp um, exclusively. And that but, is where we close. Yeah. So overall, uh, I don't know, some good fun guest appearances in this episode. Now, normally, you know, I favor episodes that, you know, are very heavily around the four. Um, and this one, you know, I don't think qualifies in that way um, so much. But I did enjoy, you know, I think we had, what, four guests on this episode. We had Jonathan. We had her dad. We had Gene Dixon. And then, I don't know if he'd call the waiter a guest, but <laughs> but the waiter is, this is his first of three appearances in different roles on the it's, show. So, oh, wow. Mm-hmm, yeah, Tony Carrero or Carriero or something like that. But anyway, he's appears three different times on the show throughout the course of uh, of its run. So, yes. only once is the waiter, though. So, what it, what he is, grows it, in his an roles. An ostentatious beginning. Mm-hmm, yeah, definitely. Um, so, uh, who... I think we've already discussed favorite lines. Um, so did you have a, an MVP of this episode, Ski? Uh, I think I'm going to go with uh, Rose because I think she had uh, some real awakenings and what she thought was important in life. Well, I, I definitely, I'm going to kind of pull a Brent on this one. Um, not a full Brent. A full Brent would be picking someone who didn't appear on TV at all, on the screen at all. Phil, but maybe Phil. Yeah, <laughs> Phil, yeah, that would definitely be a Brent move. Phil's, but, Phil's son. Yeah. I, I'm going to go with, um, I'm going to go with Rose's dad. Um, I, I really enjoyed his, his little yeah. cameo in the episode. Yeah. Um, I enjoy him as an actor. You know, he's been in a lot of things, a yeah. ton of things. He came I with am. a great message, too, you know. Mm-hmm. Right, going to Billy Barty, being, you know, obviously typecast as a figment. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a, yeah, I mean, he's been in so many things. He's been in UHF. I don't know if you remember him, you know, from that. I don't I know remember that, but. Well, you're a big fan of that movie, so. I haven't seen it for a long time. Yeah, but yeah. fair enough. Uh, he was in Willow. He was in, um, 
Oh, he was in uh, Masters of the Universe, um, you know, which is not a good movie. I, I mean, I <laughs> loved He-Man growing up. That movie was not particularly good, but you know, it still holds a soft spot. Uh, that it's it's so far the only live action version <laughs> that we've true. seen so far. Um, now, one thing I was shocked about, uh, I mean, I would have sworn, I figured he definitely would have been in Wizard of Oz, you know, because given his age mm-hmm. and around the time that was made, I would have thought, surely, you know, that I thought every little person in Hollywood. The voice match, too, I thought well, for sure. Well, sure, yeah. Um, but no, actually, he was too young. Uh, I guess that everybody apparently who was acting, the, the little people in that were over the age of 18 um, because of, uh, you know, just labor laws that they had going on at the time, which I didn't even realized back in the 30s that they would have had that strong labor law. You can work in the mine, but not on the TV set. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so he was under the age of 18 when that was filming, so Billy Barty did not get to appear as one of the, the munchkins in Wizard of Oz, but a pretty impressive career and an impressive amount of work he did for his community as well. I mean, he was, I think he, you know, took part in the American with Disabilities Act and, you know, all kinds of stuff and, like, uh, just quite a bit. He, he did quite had quite an impressive uh, career, um, both on and off the screen. So, so yeah, he would be my MVP. Was he also your MVP? Yes, Brent? yes he was. So, yeah, okay, we good. So I thought we'd be on the same page. I didn't think <laughs> we were going with Phil on this one. Yeah. No. Um, all right. So ski out of eight slices of cheesecake. Uh, how many would you give this particular I'd episode? I guess a four. Four. I thought it was pretty good, but could be slightly better. Okay. How about you, Brent? Um, go with three and a half. You know, one slice for each of the girls and half a slice for Billy. Jonathan. <laughs> oh, for Jonathan. Oh, I was giving it for Bill. So no no slices at all? Not a quarter of a slice for Billy? No. At his age, the diabetes would. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he, he can't afford to lose a foot. <laughs> I, his is way more creative than mine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, you know. It, it's good because he has barely been a participant in this episode, <laughs> so it's good that he's coming alive it's a here. Finish. Yeah, exactly. I like it. Leave him wanting for more. Um, I think I'm going to go ahead and go with the four. Also, I mean, I enjoyed the episode, uh, but I, I don't think I could go. The plot holes is what got me. Like yeah, there's, well, there's and some like what that doesn't make sense. Yeah, and their weird little B plot that they, you know, <laughs> threw in there, of, you know, Sophia leaving and then coming back almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of odd. So. <laughs> first time I watched it I'd missed or didn't catch the opening bit um, when she was packing her suitcase and so like she's standing there by the door and you know telling Rose to hurry up she's leaking clam juice (laughs) 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 and it it wasn't followed with like a comment about defense or anything like that and I was just so confused (laughs) and then when I watched it the second time I was like Oh, that's why she was leaking clam juice. Yeah, well, and you, you'd certainly have to know that, like, in this day and age, it's not going to be anything hardcore raunchy, you know. So you're like, is this a term I don't know? Like, is there something like, like, oh, come on, we're burning clam juice here. <laughs> got to go. Exactly, I like the leaking clam. That, that's yeah. also, that's even stronger finish, Brent. Mm-hmm. That's now my favorite line, actually. <laughs> so your favorite line of the episode. Well, I guess, only in the dirty context. Yeah. But, uh, hey, at least it's an actual line that was in the episode, not just one that Brent created and you're now going to, to go with. So, uh, all right. Well, with that, stay golden, Coco. Hey, thanks so much for downloading today. If you enjoyed that opening, you should definitely check out Ashley Jade on YouTube. She has a bunch of awesome compositions on there. 
If you want to get in touch, you can email us at Sophia's Choice Podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach us on Twitter at Sophia's Choice PC. We plan to have a new episode out every Monday. If you have a moment, give us a rating on iTunes or wherever else fine podcasts are downloaded. And of course, stay golden.